Welcome to the Why Moments podcast. This podcast is about connecting with people all across the world by sharing their major turning points in life. It's a mixed podcast with interviews as well as individual episodes of sharing my passion and wellness. I'm your host, Angela Kim, and I hope that these episodes remind you that we're all in this together. Hi guys, welcome back to the Why Moments podcast. My name is Angela. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Today's guest is Jeff Etienne from Boston, United States. I just wanted to come on here to let you know that this episode is a really heavy one. I feel like I say this in every episode, but this episode especially, there is a silence in the middle where we where we take the time to feel for Jeff's dad passing away. So the episode is not recorded incorrectly. It is just a moment of silence and Jeff um, shares a lot of his feelings. So just wanted to let you know that and we talk a lot about how he's been dealing with depression and bipolar throughout his most of his life and that was driven from his dad passing away and also from dealing with racism. It is a heavy one but it's also a very inspiring episode and I hope you guys enjoy listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed interviewing Jeff. Without further ado, let's dive into the episode. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, Do you want to introduce yourself to the audience? My name is Jeff Etienne. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I'm 39 years old. And um, my nationality, I'm, you know, I'm Haitian. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. And basically, I'm just, um, I'm a, I'm a referee. That's my main job. I'm, I'm a referee for five sports. I do that full time. I'm very heavily involved in the sports world. Oh, nice. What kind of sports? What are those five sports? Uh, Football, basketball, soccer, lacrosse, and softball. Oh my gosh. So you must know all the rules for all five sports. Yeah. In in and out. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Do you like what you do? I I love it. I love what I do. And, you know, and um, I'm a, you know, true believer in that, um, you know, that saying where they say, pick something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. Yeah, no, it's true. So do you kind of have like a full-time hour, like nine to five, or how does that work? It pretty much is a full-time hour. So like on, on a week, on the weekdays, it's usually, I would say from 3 p.m. till 11 p.m. Mm. And on the weekends, on the weekends, it varies, but I mm. would probably say on the weekends, it would be like about 12 p.m. till about 8 p.m. Mm, okay, some, yeah. some, sometimes in the spring, it's usually about eight, nine in the morning till about 10 at night. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're enjoying what you do. And we we're just discussing about how you're also a host of your own podcast. Do you want to kind of talk briefly about that and what it's called? Yes. My podcast is called the good and bad podcast show. And um, I started it about two years ago. And the reason why I started it was when Facebook first started and, you know, people were writing, you know, you know, statuses, I was the type that I would always, you know, put up, you know, my opinion on certain um, issues, everyday issues where I would ask questions and I was noticing, you know, I was getting a lot of people in, you know, engaged in the conversations. Like I would mm. see where the comments would say 200 comments mm. and I'm just seeing people, you know, you know, engaged in it. And, you know, um, 
somebody had said to me, like, yo, Jeff, you should do your, you should do a podcast. I mean, no, a YouTube. There wasn't mm-hmm. no podcast at the time. Like, you, should <laughs> yeah. you should do a YouTube show. Yeah. And I was like, you know, that, that, that's a good idea. But I wasn't really a big fan of, let me sit in front of a camera mm. and just, and talk. So I delayed it. Then when podcasts, you know, um, hit the scene, you know, I was listening to a lot of podcasts. You know, I, I love listening to podcasts. It's, I, I, I think it's my second best thing to do besides listening to music. Mm. And I decided, you know what, let me do a podcast show because I do have a lot to say. And I always like to have conversations with other people and see where their mind is at and, you know, and how they think. So I just I just started that. And it's basically a podcast about everything and anything. I don't just stick to like particular, Mm. you know, we talk about music, music, movies, entertainment, television, Mm -hmm. sports, race, everything. Everything and anything. That's awesome. How many episodes do you have out? Oh man, I must have. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in season three right now. Wow. So wow. Season three, and I think each season, <laughs> each season is about. I think first season must have been like ten episodes. Second season must have been maybe another ten or twelve mm-hmm. episodes. And this season, I'm at fifteen episodes. Wow, so, you're a pro so at this. <laughs> so I think I'm at. 35 episodes. That's awesome. And um, I, I know there's a lot of things that are going around, like going on in this world with the whole, um, well, started with coronavirus, and then now it's moved on to the whole racism. And I kind of want to kind of mention for me personally, it was a wake up call, because I try not get to I try not to get into, you know, the politics. And I was just so unaware of what was going on and the whole history behind this. And it just blew my mind when I started just diving into the whole, like I wanted to educate myself because I was born in Korea and then I moved to Canada in 2000 when I was young. And in Canada, we don't, I feel like we don't really deal with too much of, I guess, racism. There's definitely racism here, but I think just where even just a small city that I'm in, I personally haven't really dealt with like racism for me personally so I just haven't really dived deep into the whole topic and whole um the issue behind that system do you kind of want to tell like share your maybe like your view and maybe like your personal story where you if you have to deal with any kind of racism um so first and foremost my yeah my my personal view on it is you know we've been dealing you know with racism since 1619 you know Nothing, nothing has changed about it. Um, When all these deaths started happening where cops were killing, you know, unarmed black men, Mm -hmm. you know, unjustified, you know, there was a point and I think it was when the whole Eric Garner, when he got, you know, when he died back in what like 2017, Mm. I did say like, you know, they have to do something. Right. And I just feel like now that you know George Floyd was murdered now I feel like okay now America is starting to listen you know what I mean to people but look what look what it's come to look what it's um you know um taken for for them to actually listen it people till this day are still protesting right and it, it, it shouldn't have to be where all these all these states they're all protesting mm-hmm. they're protesting till this day you know and yet there's still violence going on with the police with these um, um, protests. Yeah. And 
all the looting and the rioting. And it's like, why does it have to come to that for people to actually, you know, like for them to actually listen to us and say, listen, some, some changes, you know, have to be made. So um, I think it's very sad. It's mm-hmm. very sad. It's disappointing. Um, it's disheartening everything, you know, that's going on. Mm-hmm. And even though you, you know, you're hearing like little things are starting to happen where, you know, they're, they're doing, they're defunding the police right. and, you know, they've canceled cops and live PD. Uh, but I still feel like, listen, we have a long way to go. Like, look what happened yesterday. You know what I mean? The, you know, the unarmed black man who, you know, who was murdered, you know, at a, you know, in a Wendy's drive through So I'm like, people still, they still haven't learned their lesson. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we, you know, we have a, we have a long way to go. And, and, um, but the positive thing about it is, it's starting to open the eyes of a lot of people because ever since all this has happened and with the protests, uh, you know, I read the news a lot. You know, right. I, you know, I watch the news, but I like to read it. Mm. And I hear every day about people in different jobs getting fired for racial comments they made, misogynistic, you know, um, um, remarks they made. Um, people not getting jobs because, mm. you know, they'll, they'll apply for a high position and then somehow they'll get their uh, something they posted on Twitter two, three years back, you know, comes into the light and then, you know, they don't get jobs for it. And I feel like, okay, you know what? Good. Finally. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That it's, that's a positive side about it. But at the same time, it's like, would you, would they be doing that if all of this wasn't happening? So I feel like they're mm-hmm. mostly doing it just to, just to kind of like cover their ass so they don't get bad in the media. Um, as far as racism that I've dealt with, I've dealt with it all my life. I've been dealing with it. I've been dealing with it since since I was a kid. You know, hmm. um, I was six years old. I went to a Catholic. School. I was the only the only black kid in the whole school. You know, like totally understand. You know, I dealt with racism from the from the you know, the principal who was a nun, hmm. from the teachers. Anything that would happen at that school, hmm. it was oh go look at Jeff and me at the time, six years old, I'm in first grade. I was a, I was very shy kid. I kept to myself, Mm. you know, I wouldn't want to even move from like my, but here I am getting blamed for everything that was going on. Like a kid would get his lunch stolen out of his backpack. Check Jeff. Oh Um, my God. It was, you know, a teacher got a stapler stolen off of her desk you know, check Jeff. It was always, you know, it was always, you know, me, 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 anything that happened, it was always, you know, come to me. And there was times that I got blamed for it and, you know, it wasn't me. So I, I'd get punished for it. I'd have to stay after school, have to send a note to my mother that she'd have to sign. And my mom would be like, you know, where is it that they said they clean the stone? I was like, I didn't, I didn't steal it, but you know, they wouldn't really, you know, as a kid, they don't, you know, they don't really listen to kids. Well, back then, at least, this is the yeah. you know, late 80s, you know, so, you know, I dealt with racism with that. I dealt with, you know, the racism with, you know, some of the kids, you know, at the school that called me, you know, names. They never, I never really heard the N-word, mm. but I would hear other names like, you know, African booty scratcher, you know what I mean? Um, oh, God. Uh, uh, monkey. I was... I would hear, you know, all of it. I think when I got older, I started hearing, you know, right. the N-word. Mm. And, and, you know, dating, you know, Caucasian women, I dealt with, you know, with, you know, with that racism from, 
either their family or their friends, and even from even from my friends, like yo, all, all you date is all you date is Caucasian women, you know, you know, why don't you date your own kind? So, oh God, but, you know, yeah, I've been I've been I've been dealing with it all my life. I still deal with it till this day. Mm. I think the only difference is, you know, I don't really deal with it directly to my face because mm. you know, I mean, you can't tell through the video, but I'm six one, two hundred and forty pounds. So, you know, they say like Jeff, you have a very like intimidating, you know, uh, um, look. Yeah. So, that's, so you know, I won't deal with the racism directly to my face, but mm. you know, I'll hear it. It you know somehow it gives back to me. Honestly, I ignore it because mm. I look at it like you know it's it's obviously you're scared to actually confront me right. about it. So you say it behind my back, that's fine. As long as you be racist behind my back, you know what I mean. You know that's fine. As long as I'm not dealing it, you know, um, um. You know, head on, yeah. face to face. Yeah. But the one thing I'm terrified of is getting pulled over. I'll tell oh you that. I don't want to. Getting, I'm terrified of getting pulled over. I'm terrified of having confrontation with cops. So, you know, anytime cops are around in the area, I'm I'm gone. You know what I mean? I don't run, but I'm just like, oh, cops mm-hmm. are coming. I'm out of here because you can take a left turn. Even if you're six foot one and you're you know, you're a big guy, you're still terrified of the cops because you never know how that's going to turn out. Yeah. I never know how it's going to turn out because cops got guns. Oh you my know what gosh. Mean? Cops I- have guns. They, they got tasers. They have all types of weapons. And not only that, but you know, you know, they got handcuffs and then it'd be two, three, four of them on you. So it, it's not like one of those, you know, Hey, I'm meeting just another man face to face. And we're just going to fight it. You know, we're just going to use our fists and fight it out. Like, no, uh-uh. they have an unfair advantage, you know, against me. I will not win. I won't win. So, mm. Have you ever been pulled over for anything or just? I have. Yeah. Two years ago, I was, you know, driving. I got pulled over. Um, I was, when I mean terrified, I'm talking about, I've never been so scared in my life when I got pulled over. I pulled over right away, put the car in park put all the lights in the car on, roll the windows down and kept my hand on the wheels the whole time. I was, you know, making sure I made eye contact with the officer. I, I was, you know, following directions. Yes, officer, no mm. officer. Um, is it all right if I reached in the glove box for my, you know, my registration? registration. Mm. And, I, and I was doing it slowly. I said, I'm just going in the, you know, I'm just going in the glove box. And I was just following directions. But the whole time I'm sweating, my heart's racing. You know, luckily, it was two stadies. They were, you know, they were both white, but mm. they were, they were nice. Mm. They were nice. They were gentlemen. They just, you know, said, Hey, this is the reason why we pulled you over. Listen, let you off with a warning, warning. You know, they, they joked with me and then they, they let me go. But even when they let me go, they were like, have a nice day. Like I must've sat in the car parked for like a good five minutes. Cause I had to just let, you know, I had to calm down, get, get my composure. And then I just said, let me just get home. I got home and just said, and I just, it was just a sense of, you know what, I'm safe. I'm home. I just need to go to bed. And, and, you know, like the anxiety level was on, a, was, I've never felt anything like that before. Just, I'm just, uh, I'm so shocked that you guys have to deal, go through that. And I mean, it's like, I know that in the document, you talked a little bit about your, your depression and all of that. And to have that on top of what you're already going through is just, yeah. 
uh, just lack of knowledge that I had. I'm just, I'm regretful that I didn't know this earlier. And like, I watched a documentary called 13th on Netflix and Leaf Browder's story. And I was furious. Like I could not watch it without feeling all kinds of emotions. And I'm like, the people like, it's so fucked up. And I really sure. hope that, you know, it does improve. And I hope that this is the start of maybe the, the change of the system. I know that it's still happening, but I think more and more people are becoming aware of what's actually going on and to really just, we need justice in the system. And it's just yeah. so, ah, oh. anyways, um, to get into the, I guess the whole, you know, you dealing with the whole depression portion of it. How did you, I guess, when did you first realize that you were dealing with depression? I first found out I was dealing with depression when I was, um, when I was, I would say mid twenties. Mm. And it's, 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 it's funny because I actually knew when I was in grade school when I was in the seventh grade, mm. but I was so young. I wasn't really comprehending or, you know, cause um, I first recognized it because I was always, I was, I was so suicidal as a child. Gosh. You know what I mean? I was, I was, we're talking, I was nine, 10, 11 years old wanting to, you know, um, um, commit suicide. I, I had attempted it at least on three, four different occasions. Mm-hmm. And when my family realized it, I remember, I remember it, every Wednesdays when I got out of school, I'd have to go straight home and my sister would drive me to, you know, another city to sit down and to talk to her, which at the time was a counselor. Now I, I did not know that, you know, I was just like, why are we always going here on Wednesdays at this time to talk to this guy? Like I'd rather be playing basketball. Right. And it was just like, cause it's, it's going to be good for you. And I was like, all right. So I would go, I would talk to him, not realizing what's going on. Hmm. And um, then after that, I guess I still had the, you know, depression and feeling suicidal. So I had got, I, I got set to a, to a treatment. So it was like a, a hospital for kids with, who were dealing with depression, who were suicidal. Mm-hmm. You know, I would talk to all these doctors, get, you know, like tested. Um, and still, I'm just like, why am I here? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand, like, you know, like, like what's going on. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was, you know, they were real strict you know, with the, with the rules and what you can and can't eat, what you can and can't watch mm. and stuff like that. And once the doctor, I remember, um, I ran a test with a specific doctor where he gave me the, um, you know what the Rorschach test, test is? No, the Rorschach test is that you've seen it. It's actual, it's these white cards and it mm. looks like it has like splattered paint on it. And they'll ask you, what do you see? Yeah. 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 I did that test. And then I did another test where he showed me a picture of like a house with like a hundred things going on. And then he would say, all right, now write down, draw everything that you saw in that. After I Mm. did that, a couple hours later, the doctor came to me and he was like, oh, um, you know, after doing these tests, I'm going to recommend you stay here for like another like month or so. Oh, my God. And I was upset because I was like, oh, Mm. school started. Yeah. You know, it's football, it's football season. I want to play football. I want to be home, you know, with my family and friends. So I lied my way out of it. I acted mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm better. It was, I just needed attention. Everything's okay. And it worked. I was out two weeks later, mm-hmm. but I was just right back to being depressed and um, being depressed and being suicidal. So mm-hmm. um, 
but you know, like I said, I was so, I didn't understand it, you know, as a child. Mm. Yeah, I just looked at it like, I, I looked at it like I'm mad. I'm just mm. mad and I didn't know how to deal with it. So I knew it then, but didn't know it. And like I said, it wasn't until I got into like my, you know, my mid, like about 25 years old. Mm. And that's when, you know, I understood things more. And I said, you know, I need to go talk to a counselor. Talk to a counselor. And that's when he was like, yeah, you're dealing with depression. Put me on meds. And I didn't really fully understand the meds. So I just looked, to me, I looked at it like, oh, these meds are like Tylenol. You just keep taking it until you feel better. And then when you feel better, stop taking it. Mm. And that's what I did. Mm. Not knowing like, no, you can't do it like that. Because now when you stop taking it, your depression will come back times three. So that's pretty much what kept happening from the time I was 25 until I was 36. So that's like recent for you. Yeah. 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 Until, yeah. So when I was about, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, about 35, 34, 35 years old. And that's when everything hit me and I was at the worst I've ever been. Mm. And that's when I found out that it wasn't just depression. It was depression and it was bipolar disorder. Mm. And, and I, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't understand it. You know, right. it was, um, cause you know, like you were saying, yeah, I got into a toxic relationship and yeah. I was in a relationship which became toxic. Mm. Then when her and I broke up, I fell into the deepest depression I've ever in my life been in. I'm talking about, I was crying from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to sleep. Um, I go to work and I would just hide out in the basement of mm. the building I was working out. I'm working at. Mm. I was just constantly crying and I was so suicidal and I could not understand why. Mm. I'm like, why am I feeling this way over a woman who mm. broke up with me, doesn't want to be with me? Like, I'm stronger than this. What is going on? So mm. I called my counselor and said, I'm going to do something that that I might not be able to come back from. So he was like, all right, you know, this is an emergency. Come in. So I yeah. came in. I came in. He sent me to go see my uh, my, psych, my psychologist. Mm. And my psychologist was like, all right, hey, you know what, Jeff? I need to up your dosage on your depression meds mm. and, 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 and your bipolar. And I'm like, huh? I'm bipolar? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, when, when did you find out that I'm bipolar? Just right now from what I'm telling you? He was like, no, you've, you've been bipolar for years. And why am I just not finding out about this? Yeah. You've only given me meds just for depression. Yeah. You know I mean? So that's when, you know, I found out about mm. it. And that's when I learned, you know what? These doctors, they'll give you the medication, but they don't sit there and tell you like, okay, this is what it is. This is yeah. what it's for. This is the, the negatives and the, you know, and, and the positives of it. So I have to do all that research on my own. And that's when I learned, like, you take these meds, these meds are for you to take forever. And, and I just, I was ashamed a little bit. Yeah. You know I, mean? yeah. I, I was, I was afraid, you know what? I can't tell people I'm bipolar. I was like, yeah. cause they're gonna, they, you know, they either gonna, you know, hold that against me. Anything that happens, they're going to say, oh, it's because he's bipolar. Mm. If I have a bad day, they're going to say, oh, did you take your meds today? Mm. So I was like, I think I'm gonna keep it to myself. But um one day I just woke up and said you know what I'm not going to be silent about this you know what I mean this isn't this isn't anything I need to be ashamed of and I just 
so I told my family, you know, told my friends, I was open about it, and yeah, that's pretty much it. And I've been on meds ever since I've been on the meds. I've been taking them, you know, consistently, and you know, and I have, you know, felt better. You know, there've been times where, you know, I've had to like second guess, like, you know, well, I think I'm on, you know, I'm depressed, but it's usually because something happens in my life that needs mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. Um, where do you think that your suicidal thoughts and the attempts came from when you were a, like a little child? Because you said that you were like just what nine years old when you felt like yeah, that. I was. I was yeah nine eight young. nine years old yeah, yeah from from about eight to about eleven twelve and and I think. I believe the reason why I think I was, you know, I was so suicidal is because I, you know, grow up growing up in a Haitian household mm. is Haitian parents are strict. Mm. I was not a lot. First of all, I was always getting, you know, I was always getting, besides the fact I was always getting picked on at school. Yeah. I was always getting blamed for everything at school. Then I would come home. My parents would believe everything they were, you know, like they were telling them about me at the school. So I'd get in trouble with my parents. I was always, you know, they were always punishing me. Then it was, I couldn't do things with my friends. Like, you know, I would always get invited to like, you know, like Halloween party, birthday parties. I couldn't go to those. I couldn't go like roller skating or out with friends. I couldn't go outside to mm-hmm. play. Mm-hmm. So all that right there, I just felt like, you know, why am I getting, you know, targeted where I can't like live a normal life as a child. So right. if I can't live my life as a, you know, as a normal child, then I, why am I alive? Why, you know, why, you know, thinking of it as a child, you just say to yourself, why was I born? Why did you make me? You know what I mean? So I, I don't need to be here. So that's the reason why I was like so suicidal. Oh God. I'm sorry. I'm like, my heart's just hurting from hearing that. And I know at the moment it, you probably thought that it wasn't helping because, you know, you wanted to play, you wanted to do all the things that other kids were doing. But if you were to look back now, do you think that portion of it kind of helped or no? Um, did it help me going to the counselor? Did it help you, I guess, like improve just kind of on the mental health side of things? Um, do you think that that portion was necessary as for you to go through as a child? Or do you think that kind of hindered the process looking back on it now as you know as an adult i would yeah. say you know what it was necessary mm. okay. but they just went about it the wrong way right you know like you don't just say hey jeff every wednesdays come home come straight here your sister nicolette's gonna take you you know out okay and then i get in the car and then she takes me there and she's like oh you know go, go with this gentleman and just talk with him why what are we talking about So. I probably would have been more cooperative, I guess, or mm. opened up more had I known why I'm here. Right. You know what I mean? So I didn't, and you know, and you know, I'm young, so I didn't really know how to like communicate. True. Mm-hmm. So I remember one specific time where it was me, my mother, my father, and my sister, and we all went to the um, counselor at a particular time. So now I'm in the room with me, the counselor, my mother, my father. Mm counselors asking me questions i'm not answering any of the questions because to me i was looking at it like no i'm not answering these questions i'm gonna get in trouble mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? like i'm gonna get in trouble you want to know why i want to why i've wanted to kill myself like no wait a minute my parents don't know i wanted to kill myself oh my gosh yeah like 
like you, you, you're gonna get me in trouble. Like I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get beatings. So I just I stayed quiet, kept my head down, and you know at the time my father was like, "This man is talking to you. Like talk, answer, answer the questions." Like he was kind of like forcing me, and I just stayed quiet. And after a half an hour, he was like, "Jeff, you know, wait outside." He talked to them. They came out, went home, and that's when they decided we're gonna send you to this treatment at the hospital that you're gonna have to like live there for a while that's so, tough yeah it was necessary yeah it would have worked had they communicated it with me right and they probably didn't know any better either right because they probably kind of freaked out themselves and they probably didn't know how to like handle the situation and because you're so young that like the communication obviously wasn't fully there like you said and so, I mean, I mean, I'm glad that they were trying to get the help for you at that time and not just kind of ignored it and kind of brushed it, like brushed off the carpet or whatever under the carpet. And so that's like, I'm glad that that happened. But um, how did they react when you first told them about you taking the meds and how you are dealing with depression? How did, how did my parents take it? Yeah. How did your parents and your friends take it when you opened up about it? Oh, when I opened up about it. Oh, okay, yeah, when I opened up about it, my friends were very, you know, they were like, you know, hey, you know, we're, you know, we're sorry that, mm. you know, you're going through that. Mm. You know, they said, if you ever, you know, they welcomed me with open arms. You know, they were like, if you ever need anything, you know, we're here. We didn't know this. We didn't know that, you know, about you. But, you know, are you getting the help you need? You know what I mean? Are you taking, you know, the meds that they're telling you to take? You know, and they would check up on me. So, mm. so you know, it was... It was, you know, it was, it was a warm reception. Mm, that's good. And your parents as well? My parents as well. Um, you know, same thing with them too. My mom's said, you know, well, I always knew there was, you know, you always had, you know, issues when you were younger, you know, cause you took, you did take meds. Um, she said, I took Ritalin when I was younger mm. and obviously they don't, they don't prescribe Ritalin anymore. But mm -hmm. at the time it was the kids who were like, you know, who, um, uh, attention deficit disorder and who mm -hmm. are hyper or whatever. Yeah. And she goes, and you know, you were, you were very depressed and, you know, mm -hmm. I do remember, all, you know, how you, you know, you wanted to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So she goes, I'm glad she just said she was glad that I was, you know, getting the help. And I was like, mm. and I just, okay. It's not, it's, it honestly, it's not something until this, until this day, me being 39, I would say I'm still comfortable having yeah. that conversation with, you know, with, with my uh with Parents. with my mom because my, yeah. my dad my dad passed away two years ago so you know which that sent me into a deep depression that i was uh, I, I didn't think i'd ever climb out of that black hole did the whole like breaking up with your long-term girlfriend and your father passing away kind of happen at the same time then no they didn't um they happened they happened a good three years apart Mm, okay. Do you want to kind of tell us about the whole story with your, I guess, father passing away and how, I mean, it's tough on anyone, but I think yeah. you took it, I think you took it to the, like, to the next level, it sounds like. And yeah, if you want to share that. Yeah. So my father passed away in October of October 6th of 2018. He had passed away mm. from congestive heart failure. So you know, he had gotten, he got diagnosed with it June of 2018. And, you know, and then, you know, my sister, who's a doctor herself, we, you know, we, we had the family, you know, um, um, family, um, text messaging mm -hmm. and 
just said, hey, you know, dad has congestive heart failure. The doctors say he has five, maybe six months to live. And mm -hmm. I was in denial. Mm -hmm. I was upset. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I said, well, they don't know. Well, we call them pops. Mm -hmm. They're like, they don't know pops. Pops is strong. So that five, six month stuff, I was like, you hear that about cancer patients and then they survive years. So I ain't worried about that. You know, yeah. my father's strong. Yeah. So I didn't worry about it. He was in the hospital from June till about, you know, about August, mm -hmm. um, July, August. He comes home and, you know, everything was good. I was always checking up on him. You know, he was fine. Only thing different was he just had like, these, like a machine hooked up to his heart. Yeah. Um, to me, everything was fine. I would come home. I would see him. He's watching television. He's being the father I know. Mm -hmm. Around the October first, exactly, I remember this. Um, we started noticing, he, you know, he was very frail. He mm -hmm. wasn't as interactive, you know, as before. He was, you know, weak. And we get a text message from my sister, and she says the nurse saw him today. He's taking a turn for the worse. And um, you know, they. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not easy to share honestly like um. yeah and you know she she was like you know they said he has the end of the week oh, if, if, he, if he's lucky yeah and even then i was still like you know like he's made it this far, so he's you know he's he's you know he's good. He's not going anywhere. And that was a Monday. I remember Friday came. I saw him. You know, I came home from work. You know, I went to see him, gave him a kiss, mm -hmm. and then you know I I said to him, you know, pops, I love you. I'll see you tomorrow. And that's mm -hmm. something that I would I was always saying to him. I'll see you tomorrow because that was my way of saying you're not going anywhere. I'm yeah. I'll, you'll be here tomorrow. Yeah. That was at like midnight. Yeah. I went to sleep. 4 a.m. came. My brother knocked on my room door and I was like, who is it? And he was like, it's Keno. You know what I mean? And I'm like, you know, you live, you live, you know, you know, somewhat far away from here. What are you doing here? So yeah. I opened the door and that's when he was like, I, I'm thinking I'm still dreaming. So mm. he was like, Pops passed. Mm. And I just, stood there looking at him yeah not trying to realize like is this real so yeah you know i went up there yeah went to his room and i'm just like no nah, no nah, he didn't pass i was like he's 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 sleeping this, mm. is, this is how he sleeps mm. he sleeps on his back with his mouth open he's he's alive so you know i was like you know you know kind of like shaking him mm. and you know trying to talk to him and I think about after about five minutes, it just hit me that, mm. you know, he was gone. And I think like I stayed at his bedside from 4 a.m. until the funeral home came and got his body, which must have been at like 1 p.m., 2 p.m. And I just tried to do everything I can. I think I think I was just my, I was in shock because I tried to do everything I can to make him come back alive. I just, yeah. kept, I just kept saying like, "Hey, listen, if you come, if you come back, I'll I'll switch places with you," because 
Because I, 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 I truly, in my heart, felt that he deserved to be here. Yeah. More than I did. You know what I mean? My father was, was 87 years old, but you weren't able, you couldn't tell that he was 87. You know what I mean? My father, you know, he had good genetics. Mm-hmm. And I was like, even him being 87 at the time I was 37, I was yeah. just like, listen, you deserve to be here more than I do. If you come back, I'll switch places with you. And, you know, he, he never, he never, you know, he never, he didn't wake up. And yeah. when they came and they, they took his body and they brought it to the, the funeral home. Yeah. That's when it like, that's when it kind of like hit me. Like he's like, my dad's gone. And yeah. And every that from that day all the way up until his funeral, every day felt like a dream. Mm-hmm. It just felt like a dream. I would wake up every morning, and I would wake up, and I still thought he was alive. Yeah. So I would wake up. I'd go. You know, I would go. My room is downstairs, so I would go yeah. up to his room. Cause that's what I I did that for years, many yeah. many years. I'd wake up, go to his room, give him a kiss. Yeah. Good morning, pops. How'd, how'd you sleep? He would ask me how I slept. Hey, Jeff, can you go get the mail? Mm. So that's what I thought I was doing. I'd go up to his room, and it was just an empty bed. And it was that's when it would hit me like, yo, they took your father. He's gone, and oh, it was the hardest thing because. Because I was still going to work, I yeah. didn't take I didn't take no time off from work. Oh my gosh! And it was just tough because I would. I remember so he you know he passed away on a he passed away on a Saturday. Yeah. I went to I went to work that day. On Sunday, two days you know a day after he passed, I still went to work, but it was his death was like really affecting me now. Cause I go to work and then now I'm being very, I, I was angry and I was being very combative, you know, as a referee, you know, as a referee, you're going to have coaches, you know, in your ear complaining. Right. And I was just arguing back with them. Right. You know what I mean? And then in the end I'd have to apologize. I had to let them know, like, listen, I'm sorry for my behavior today, but I just lost my father. Right. You know what I mean? And so, you know, they accepted my apology and they understood where I was coming from. That Monday, I remember I had to go ref a soccer game over by Fenway where the Boston Red Sox play. Mm. I never made it. I just started, I got off the train, started walking that direction, and I just, I just lost it. Yeah. And just stood there in the middle of the sidewalk just crying. Mm. And I just turned around and I went home. And Mm. I remember the, the league director called me and said, you know, you didn't make, I heard you didn't make it to ref that game. Like, you know, what's your excuse? Cause yeah. you know, as a referee, if you, if you're assigned to ref a game, you got to be there. Yeah. And I just told him, I said, I just lost my father two days ago. Yeah. And, and he just said, you know, he was sorry and, you know, he understands and, you know, and, you know, and he was praying for me and, you know, and then he, you know, he sent me a card in the mail, but, that his death set me into a depression. I stopped taking, I stopped taking my meds Mm. and I would just 
just constantly, just constantly thinking about him. I was always still going up to his room. You know what I mean? I was like, um, I would kiss his the room door that mm. you know of his room. It was just, I I don't know, just the visual images in my head was like to me was like overtaking, you know, um, was overtaking my mental and. Mm. I got to a point where I just said, you know, I don't want to be here. I want to be with him. Mm. You know what I mean? So I truly felt like if I were to take my life, I would mm-hmm. be there with him. Right. And, uh, you know, and I, I guess it was him stopping me from doing it. Yeah. Because um, I ended up having a dream about him. Like, I want to say a couple weeks after he and dream was I was in my room I went up the stairs I opened the door and he was standing there and then I looked at him and I'm in shock and I'm like oh my god pops like you're here you know what I mean like you know you're you're back and then he Mm. was just like and he just looked at me he said yeah Jeff my son you know like you know I'm here and then we hugged and then you know he told me he loved me I told him I loved him too and then I woke up and when I woke up, that was like, to me, that was like, is that a dream telling me, you know, hey, if you do take your life, those stairs you went up, it's a stairways to heaven and you're going to see your father. Mm. So, so I really was like, you know what, I think I, I think I am going to do this. But the only one of one of the main reasons why I didn't do it is because I have, you know, I have um two kids um. and my son, you know, who's 17, him and I are like we're like twins mm. and and then you know and I have my daughter who's now seven mm. at the time she was five and I just looked at it like you know what if I do this and I take my own life I'm going to, my son is going to be in the same state that I'm in right now yeah and I go and he's only you know at the time he was 15 I go he's only 15 years old he right. can't he don't he don't need to have a I'm feeling so that's, I think, one of the main reasons why I didn't, I didn't take my life, mm. and, and then you know, ever since then, you know, like I said, I just not a day goes by where I don't think about him, and mm-hmm. um, you know, the thought of suicide was still heavy, you know, on on my mind. But um, I've had, I want to say, I could count on. I, I think I've had five dreams about him since he's. Mm. Uh, since he's been away and the last one I think is the dream that made me say, all right, you know, everything's going to be good was, you know, it was about two months ago. I, you know, I ended up seeing him mm. and same thing. He opened the door and I said, Oh my God, pops, you know, I, you know, I've missed you. You know what mm. I mean? I've missed you. All I do is think about you. And then he said, Oh, you know, Jeff, my son, are you okay? And I said, no, Pops, I'm not okay. You know, things are not okay. And then he hugged me and he said, everything is going to be okay. Mm. And then I just, and I woke up and I think that dream right there was basically me saying, all right, you know what? Like he came and spoke to me and he let me know everything is going to be okay. So I'm going to listen to him. Mm. Oh, wow. What do you think is the biggest lesson he's taught you throughout your whole life? the biggest lesson that my father has taught me was he, he, my father embodied the definition of a real man. My father 
didn't smoke, he didn't drink. And that's where I get that from because I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't do mm. no drugs. Mm. My father is was was a hardworking man. My father would work the the second shift, you know, three to eleven. Mm-hmm. And he my father just had a set schedule that he never deviated from. He would right. wake up every morning, you know, nine, ten o'clock in the morning, take a shower, brush his teeth, have his coffee, get dressed, go to work. He'd usually come home after midnight, you know, mm-hmm. you know, kiss me and my brothers, and then he'd do it again the next day. But mm-hmm. he taught me about hard work, how mm-hmm. to have a set schedule and stay with it. My father taught me about being loyal, mm-hmm. you know, how to be, you know, honest and truthful so that way no one can ever judge your character. Mm-hmm. He taught me, you know what, people might be able to say many things about you, but the one thing you don't ever want them to say about you is that you're not loyal or you're not truthful. Mm. And I think in the number one lesson is he taught me how to be a family man, how to take care of your family. Mm. So that's like one of the biggest, you know, things for me is, you know, you know, as a father, just, you know, being the best father that I can be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, he sounds like an amazing, amazing person. And I'm sure he's watching over you. And I'm sure he's appearing in these dreams for a reason, like you said. And it's really good to see that I can tell that you would be an amazing father to your children. And I think I was crying with you so much there is because like I had to deal with my mom going through cancer. And um, that was when I was young. And I didn't really know how to help uh, because I was in junior high. And like in that phase of your life you really don't know like you're trying to figure yourself out so it's like when you I think my dad came to me one day and said um he was painting our house with like different colors my mom's a really colorful person like she really loves colors like different colors so then he started just like painting all our walls in different colors and I was like dad like what are you doing why are you doing this because normally he's like he'd come home and just kind of like sit on the couch and doesn't really move and like watch his news and all that stuff. So then when he was doing all of that, I was like, what's going on? And he would tell us, he'd tell me and my brothers that my mom only had, I guess like, well, we knew that she was sick, but I just didn't know how sick she was. And um, my dad kind of said that she's going to have to go through surgery. She had like a lymphoma, like a tumor in her, I guess like by her nervous system. And um, he kind of said that, she only had like 2% chance to live. And at that time, obviously like it hits you. And even though you're young, like you hear that your mom only has a 2% chance of living. Like that's, that's really hard to take. And thankfully, thankfully she, it was magic and she, like she is alive today. But I know if like someone who's never, you know, lost a family member in their life is the pain that you have to go through is just honestly, it's, it's not explainable. Like you can't, you can't, like you can't feel those feelings as someone that's felt if they lost nope. a family member. And yeah, you can't, something <sighs> you, cannot, you cannot describe. And no. I tell people all the time, listen, no matter how many times I tell you this story yeah. and you know, I tell people, I can tell you this story a hundred times, no matter how many times I've said it, you might, you know, say, you know, Oh, you know, Jeff, you know, I, I feel for you and all that. No, you, Trust me, no. you don't know until you've experienced it first. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, so I guess, like, talking about the whole breakup with your girlfriend, like, why do you think that, like, you said that you, you guys kind of ended on a, it went into a toxic relationship. So 
like how did that I guess play out and how did that kind of contribute to the whole depression um it played it like you saying how did it play out after we broke up or yeah like do you think that you guys the relationship was kind of toxic towards the end because you were already I guess feeling depressed or is it like other reasons why you guys you know didn't work out and why do you think that it hit you so hard after the after the breakup so yeah that it, that definitely played a big role in it me being depressed and and being bipolar Right. Um, and you know it you know there was a whole you know there was other reasons but mm-hmm. you know that definitely played a big role in it because she I remember her telling me when I you know when I told her that hey I got diagnosed with being bipolar and you know and I'm on you know um you know medication well, first of all I didn't even say hey I'm you know I'm bipolar yeah. I told her, listen I'm on new medication now I'm on lithium yeah. and she goes you're on lithium and I said yeah, yeah. and she goes wow and I said, wow, what? And she goes, everything now makes sense. And I said, you know, what makes sense? And she goes, lithium is for people who are bipolar. Mm. And I said, yeah, I've been diagnosed with being bipolar. She goes, she goes, now it all makes sense, Jeff. She goes, because I had a hard time, like, dealing with you, Jeff. Because she said, one minute, you'd be doing backflips. Mm. The next minute, it was like somebody died. Mm. She goes, you would just go quiet. You don't want to talk. Mm. um you would go into your own little world you would go into depression and then she goes and then you know sometimes snap of a finger you're alive mm. and she goes now she goes now you know it, it makes perfect sense yeah and um it did make sense because there was times that I would just get you know um free at her mm. but the way I deal with the you know um with the anger you know when I'm in a relationship I'm more mm. of the I'm not gonna flip out and yell at you Right. I'm more of the like, you know, I'm just gonna ignore you. Right. You know, I'm just gonna ignore you. Um if if we're not living together and yeah. I'm like at your place and we get into an argument, I'm I'm leaving. I'm leaving mm. and you may not hear from me for the next three, four days. Mm. And so that's you know, that's how I dealt with it. Mm. And then, you know, when I found out me being bipolar and everything, that's it made a whole lot of sense to me too. So right. so that did, you know you know, um, um, play a big role, you know, in it, mm. my, my moods going up and down. And when it went down, it went down, you know, dramatically. Right. Um, uh, how did it play out? You know, after I told her about the depression and about yeah. the whole, you know, um, being bipolar, you know, she was, um, she was a little bit, you know, you know, a little bit compassionate. Mm. Um, it hit me so hard. It was because, it, um, this is a woman who I had been with at the time four years. I had been with her for four years. Wow. And it was almost like a piece of my life was now gone. Right. Because, you know, my whole, I wouldn't say my whole world revolved around her, but she was a big part of it. It was, right. I would, I would go to work. Then after I got out of work, I would go to her place. Mm. And, you know, we would be together. And then I would go in whether I had to ref or whether I had a game myself, because I, mm. I would play basketball. If I had a basketball game to play in or mm. go to the gym, then I'd go back to her place. We would mm. eat and we'd go to bed. That mm. was pretty much the schedule. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. The weekends, which we would spend all day together, you know, um, or, you know, weekends together after I would work, we'd, we'd go to a movie, we'd have dinner, we would just, you know, spend the weekend together. 
So now imagine doing that for four years straight. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, all that stops. Right. So now it became sleeping, you know, sleeping at my own place. Right. Sleeping in an empty bed. Mm. Um, not knowing what I'm going to do with myself. Like, you know, I'm out of work now. Like, where am I? Like, what am I going to yeah. do with myself? Like, yeah. Like, where am I going to go? Like, okay, well, I'm just going to have to go home, you know, in the dark and just like mm. and lay there. So that's, I think it was the whole being lonely and not having, mm. you know, not having her, you know, um, you know, in my life, you know, after she had been here for four years and, and you know, me being lost. Right. So that's, so that's what it was. That's what it was, mm. you know, why, it, why it hit me so hard. Mm. There's so much grieving that you have to do throughout your whole life. And I feel yeah. like maybe you didn't, even like when you said your father passed away, you didn't give yourself uh, like that time period to just sit there and to just grieve because you put yourself right back into work, right? Yeah. So I feel like that kind of played a role in this like um, snowball effect maybe. And Big role. Oh, big, man. It, it, yeah. It played it, it, it played it, it played such a big role because you know, like I said, I I never stopped working. Right. I never stopped working, and you know, the only time that I stopped working was mm-hmm. the day of his wake and the day of his funeral. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? His wake was on a Friday, his funeral was on a Saturday, and then I went to work on Sunday. And I felt like, you know what? If I take time off from work, yeah, and I'm just I was like I'm I'm just I'm gonna snap, and I, all I'm gonna do is cry all day. So let me just, you know, go to work. Mm. Now, that's a good and a bad thing because the bad thing about that is on my way to work, I would just be crying. I'd be crying yeah. on my way to work. I get to work, got to go to the bathroom, pull myself together. I can't count how many times that I've been refing a game and in the middle of the game, mm. I, I'm holding tears back, you know, and it was, you know, it was tough, you know, looking around, seeing kids with their fathers, you know, yeah. and maybe think about my father. So it did. I want to say I probably started healing mm. during the pandemic. Wow. That's recent for you then. Yeah. Because the pandemic made, you know, schools got shut down. Right. So I have no games to ref. Ain't right. no sport. Yeah. So all I did was just stay home. And <sighs> that was when I did though, you know, like, reading you know reading um reading a lot of books about mm. you know um, dealing with losses a friend of mine gave me a book about how to deal with you know um, a loss yeah grieving reading blogs listening mm. to like different podcasts mm. and that's what helped me you know actually get better and deal with his death yeah. i love that i love that you're taking action to to just sit there to really look within to really just take that moment for yourself like to just slow down and I think pandemic happened for a reason for me I think it did because it's made a lot of people slow down and to really just sit with themselves which a lot of people don't get a chance to right and yeah yeah I'm really glad that you're doing that yeah Yeah. I said I said the same thing I said this pandemic was a blessing in disguise Mm because Before the pandemic happened, all I did was work, work. seven days a week, sun up to sundown, oh go, go to the gym, work out. I played in basketball leagues. So this pandemic, like you said, it allowed me to, it gave me a vacation, quote and unquote. Yeah. It allowed me to, it allowed me to reflect. Yeah. It allowed me to, you know, 
I thought about all the mistakes that I made in the past and it made me actually dive deep into it in depth mm. and say to myself, all right, why did I do those things? You know, like how mm. could I have avoided it? What did I learn from it? And it just, it changed me. It made me into a better, you know, a better human being, first and foremost. Mm. You know I mean, better human being, a better man, mm. you know what I mean? A, 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 be, a better father and just, just all around a better person. So I'm, it was a blessing in disguise for me for the, you know, for the whole shelter in place being at home. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't complain about it. Yeah. I love that. Um, is there anything else that you kind of want to share before I ask the final question? Um, the only thing I want to share is, you know, give people, you know, this advice, mental health is serious. It's yep. a serious issue. Like I said, I love to read the news and mm. every day I'm reading about somebody new who committed suicide. Right. And people don't realize how serious it is. Even though it's now coming into the light and they're making more of an, you know, um, more of an issue about it, mm -hmm. but it's but we're still not there yet. Yeah. You know, I think it's something that should be taught in schools. Yeah. Make it a curriculum. Yeah. If you if you People out there feel like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm, I'm always upset. Don't wait. Mm -hmm. Go and get the help you need because, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It could be too late. So, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, people get educated on it. You know what I mean? Learn about it. Get the help you need. Help somebody in need. But, you know, mental health is serious. It's, mm -hmm. it's the brain. The brain controls Everything. everything yeah i always say this to my friends so i'm like they need to teach this shit in school like why are yeah. they not teaching this it's yeah please other things that you yeah. really won't need later on in life yeah like, like it is everything is about a person's mindset so why is it that it's they there's so much stigma and there's so much you know and it makes it just frustrates me so much that you know mental health is seen as this you know someone showing weakness or you know and i just yeah i'm glad that you brought that up because yeah it's a serious issue and i hope people take it seriously and, I, and like you said i hope people really seek for help if they feel like they need that yeah absolutely um like the final question is what does it mean to live for you other than your father appearing in your dreams? For me to live, I would say, um, first, first and foremost, my kids, mm. you know, they see me, especially, you know, especially with my son having that relationship. I'm, I'm living for him. Mm. I am showing him the things and teaching him the things that I was not taught when I was younger. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm showing him things that I wasn't shown when I was younger. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, and, and I've said to him a hundred times, listen, I'm going to show you and teach you things that you will not be, you will not learn in school. Right. And these are the things that's really going to help you succeed in life. Not learning about geometry and, and history and mm. that stuff, you know, right. so I'm living for him. I know mm. if I were to not be alive tomorrow, mm -hmm. it would crush, you know, um, my son. Mm. I also look at it like, you know, I work with the youth, mm. you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm, I, I teach the youth a lot. Yeah. I have, you know, I have, you know, my family and, you know, and I have friends who actually, you know, who actually enjoy, you know, my company, you right. know, a lot of the times I have friends who come to me for, you know, for my opinion or for my advice, mm. what should I do? And mm. I also look at, I also look at it like I'm living for them. 
Mm. You know, if I were to be, you know, same thing. If I were to be gone tomorrow, mm. I feel like they would be hurt. They could maybe a little bit, you know, um, be lost. So the fact that I can make that 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 change or I can affect somebody's life that way, mm. it's, you know what I mean? It's, I look at it the same thing as, like, kids, they find an outlet. Like, I just love playing football. Mm-hmm. And then you snatch football away from them, mm. they're lost. Right. I mean, they're lost. They're hurt. They're like, I would always go to football. Now I, I don't know what to do with myself. And I feel like that's how it would be for me if I no, um, no longer live. So I feel like I'm here teaching and bringing joy to a lot of people's lives. I agree with that. Even just this like hour interview here with you, I learned so much and you touched me personally. And I'm really glad that we got a chance to connect and I hope we keep in touch and I will listen to your podcast and I hope everyone listens to it. It's called the good and bad podcast, right? Yep. The good and bad podcast. Where can people find you other than the podcast? They could find me on uh, Facebook, um, J E F F E T N E T I E N N E. Um, That's one way. Um, I always say, you'll know it's me because the pic, my profile picture is me. Basically, I'm hugging my dad's coffin, so you know it. You know, you know, you know that's me because a bunch mm. of Jeffy tends to pop up. Yeah. I'm also on Instagram um, as um, the gift, the cursed one. So T H E G I F T T H E C U R S E D one. So that's my Instagram, and and I mean those are the two places I'm really um, I'm really uh, I'm, I'm really on it. I communicate. I'll link everything down in the show notes so people can find you. And then I'll also connect with you via these platforms as well. And again, thank you so much for sharing your story. I know it wasn't, I hope you feel good about sharing it. And I I, yeah, that's I good. And I know for a fact that this episode will touch so many different people's lives. And I hope that it impacts the way that it's impacted me the past hour. And yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. I'm so glad that we did this and I'm really honored to be able to share your story. So thank you. Me too. I'm, I'm glad we did this. This is my first podcast interview ever. So thank you for popping my cherry with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much. I'll of definitely course. be, I'll definitely be telling people, you know, about your podcast too. And you. you know, so to, you know, to, to share your podcast. Cause you know, I think it's very interesting. So yeah, I need Same to catch you. up on your episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> we are us both. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank I hope you, you have so a good much. day. You too. Okay. Bye. bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. And please feel free to share this with anyone that might benefit from hearing this story. Also, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a review down below. I look forward to connecting with you next week and until then I hope you continue to live by your why.